Welcome, and we, we are so grateful for them. We are grateful for you. We hope that 2017, we've gotten through seven days. It's been great for you and your family. Um, just kind of touching upon from last week, we want to go through 2017 not with an attitude of, Lord, I just want to survive. No, we want to go into it with, God, you have brought us through. You will continue to bring us through, and I'm going to thrive. And that doesn't mean 2017 is going to be successful in the worldly point of view of wealth or health or blessings. It means no matter what comes our way with God, all things are truly possible. He has given us and delivered us already. Lord, bring it. And so that's kind of our message last week. And, and we wanted to just carry on that theme. So I want to journey through Exodus. That was Exodus 14. Today I want to talk about Exodus 16 because in this journey of life and going through a new year, it is not easy. Um, and so I want to talk about two themes that are in Exodus 16, and they are grumbling and obedience. Grumbling and obedience. We'll kind of unpack that. Um, before I start, continue on, no one wakes up in the morning and says these things. Ready? No one wakes up and says, today... I feel like being addicted and rest, wreck my life. No one wakes up and says, you know, today I feel like being unemployed. That's my goal. I, I really want to be unemployed. Nobody wakes up and says this, I want to burn all my bridges and just live a life of loneliness. That's what I want to do. I don't think anybody in the history of the world have done that. And this one, no one wakes up and says, you know what would make me happy? I just want to be broke. I mean, I want to have no money whatsoever. That, that's my objective in my life. No one does that. But we get there, don't we? So we don't intend to get there, but we get there. Why? And I think it's this idea that you are on a journey, and the decisions we make factor into the destination we go. And so, you know, in my family for 2017... Um, my family, we get together every night and we read a chapter of Proverbs together with our kids. And I say, bring your Bibles. And they've been doing it. I was like, this is not going to last for more than a day. But, you know, third day, fourth day, and Jamie and kids are like, are we doing the Bible reading tonight? So I'm like, you must be pastor kids because no normal kids do this. But yesterday, this was a text that we ended last, um, the last three verses of Proverbs 4. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. What do you hear? That we are on a journey and there is a destination we all want to go to but we need to keep our feet on level path. You can't look to the right or to the left. You need to look at the Lord before you. And this is Exodus 14 where God says to Moses, I brought you here. And Moses says, the Lord will fight for us. Keep your eyes locked on him. We need only to be still. And so how fitting that is. And so today, I wanna read from Exodus uh, chapter 16. And it's right up there before you. And Exodus is the easy book to find because it's the second book in the whole Bible. 
and I'll be reading from verse 1 through 30. And I like to have participation, so I'll read one verse and you read the other verse. And uh, Brother Nathan always reminded me, he's like, you know, you always say that and then you just read right through because <laughs> I get so into it. So thank you, Nathan. So let's, let's, it's long, but let's read it together. So they went through the Red Sea, and God showed them his mighty power. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt! There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are, you, who are we that you should grumble against us? Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. When, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. This is what the Lord had commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need, take an omer for each person you have in your tent. That's three pounds. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. See, it's hard. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. (laughs) 
On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? So the people rested on the seventh day. Wow. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I have to be the first to admit, reading this makes me feel so falsely secure in my own righteousness. For when I see Israelites and I look into my heart, I know that I'm just as prone to grumble and to do it my way and to keep disobeying you. And that's many of us here, Lord God. And so teach us, show us, shine your word into us. Guide us so that we know that life doesn't need to be as messy as it needs to when we can trust you and hear you. And so lead us at this time by your Holy Spirit to make your words, your message, you come alive so that we could follow not just the teaching, but to follow the living God. We thank you for your love for us. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Grumbling. Um, this is the cliche, right? When you go on a road trip with your kids, you know, do I have to turn this car around? Oh, Jody hit me. And I hear that now. Uh, I thought it was like when there were three or four, but I miscalculated. It's eight, nine, ten, and twelve. And so, oh, they're not in this room, so I could talk about them. Uh, so, so grumbling is this. I want to just say this statement out first. Grumbling is one of your and my biggest hindrances to a beautiful future. This propensity to grumble. What is grumbling? What's grumbling? How would you define grumbling? Complaining. Complaining. You preach it, Carol. Complaining. (laughs) Why? Why are we doing this? What's going on? Oh, why does it have to be like this? Exodus 1 through 3, the Israelites, they set out. They just saw the miracle of God. And then what did they do in the desert? The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. By the way, I kind of try to do a research. Do you know how many days it's been since God parted the sea and they traveled through dry ground? How many days? Take a guess. Huh? Forty-two. Miss Lori Larson, I think you said it. Um, It says in Exodus 15, 22, just before, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur, 
for three days they traveled in the desert. So I try to kind of measure it. I think it could have been short as three. At most, it couldn't have been a week. Three days. You see the hand of God in your life, three days. And you're like, yes, Jesus. Yes, God, you saved us. Three days later, we're going to die. We're going to die. I, I, just, I mean, just how depressing is that? God is so good. Two days later, we're done. We're done. We're done. Life is over. And it's like this short-term memory. And so when they see this challenge of now we're getting hungry. There's 600,000 people here. There's no McDonald's. There's no rest stop. There's no 7-Eleven. What are we going to do? What, what's your option? Grumble. Wow, that'll get you far. Now, now grumbling, here's the problem with grumbling. It's so passive-aggressive, isn't it? Like, when you grumble, it's passive-aggressive. Grumbling is not, Charles, I got a problem with you. Grumbling is this. I want to do it that way. Why do I? Why are we doing this? Charles is like, what? Oh, nothing. God bless you. So grumbling is it's it's this annoying, obnoxious complaining, but it's not even direct. It's this murmuring. So have you heard of Yelp? Yelp is a review for shops, restaurants, places, and there is a problem that small shop owners have with Yelp. Because you get one weird customer, they put on a whole fiction, like chapter one. They spit in my face. You know, they, they exaggerate. They're like, hi. And they're like, oh. they, they, were ra- they were just, they saw me and they knew that I was not what, you know. I, they just, so my father-in-law has a shop and, and I just read about these Yelps and it's like, wow. So we have a problem in today. We grumble. We don't know how to say it directly to them, so we feedback, uh, blogs, comments. If you ever watch articles in the newsletters and the internet and you see the comment section, people are so brave when they're anonymous. I don't know why. Anyway, so there's this grumbling about life, the politics, leadership, shops, and so people grumbled against Moses. And so this is not even the first time. In chapter 15, they were grumbling about water. They have water, and they said, it's so bitter. It's too salty. And so Moses threw a piece of wood in it, and then the water became drinkable. So what is the problem for Christians, for godly men and women, why grumbling is such a problem? Okay, and you know this when I say it. You ready? It is impossible to worship God with a grumbling heart. You can't do it. It's like trying to sneeze and keep your eyes open. Did you know you can't do that? Next time you sneeze, try to keep your eyes open. It's impossible. It's like physically. It is impossible to worship God. Come to church when your heart is full of complaints. So when you come and you're like, I don't like this. I don't like this. Why is this happening? And then you come here and you say, thanks be to God. Your heart's like, no, it ain't happening today. So you sit in the pews and all you do is continue to grumble. And so some of us sit in church, and you went to worship, but you did not worship. And so this is the problem why God is saying, I can't have my people grumble. So grumbling is a spiritually uh, declaration. It's also the statement to God when you grumble about life. You're saying this to God, but I dare you to say this out loud at home. Say to God, you dealt me a bad hand. You put this person in my life. 
it's not fair. Now, you're 50 years old, 40 years old, 90 years old. We don't talk like that, but we act like that. When we grumble, we're like, God, it's your fault. Hmm. You know, we see like 80-year-olds doing it, but you're a grown-up. And so when we grumble, we're making this statement to God, God, you just didn't give me what I wanted. And so the Israelites are grumbling, and they're saying, here, you got us out. Are we going to starve to death? And this is idea that, God, you got us this far, but I don't know if I still trust you. Man, that's tough. And so grumbling, something else is going on in the text that we read. When they grumbled, Moses and Aaron say twice, when you grumble, who are you ultimately grumbling against? Your president? Some of you who had a bad ear, who did you grumble against? Your spouse? Your neighbor? Some of you, your, your boss? This is what the Bible says. Ultimately, every grumbling is towards God. Moses and Aaron, verse 7. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Who are we? Verse 8. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against who? The Lord. Whenever we, the people of God, gather together and grumble, ultimately, you're either part of the solution or part of the... Oh, you know. Let's say that out loud. Let's... Let's be a little bit, when you grumble as followers of Jesus Christ, either you are part of the solution or part of the problem. There is no passive-aggressive, well, I'm not part of it. Those are usually people that are part of the problems. When we should be encouraging those who are serving, we sit back and complain. But worse than that, grumbling is ultimately always against God. Charles Spurgeon is a preacher from early uh, 19th century, and he gave this little anecdote. A heavy, wagon was, a heavy wagon was being dragged along a country lane by a team of oxen. The axles groaned and creaked terribly. When the oxen turned around, they addressed the wheels. Hey there, why do you make so much noise? We bear all the labor, and we, not you, ought to cry out. And so Spurgeon writes, those who complain the first in our churches who have the, are the ones who have the least to do. The gift of grumbling is largely dispensed among those who have no other talents or who keep what they have wrapped up in a napkin. Ooh, some of you just got edged like, like ooh. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years now from youth ministry to now. This is almost 99.9% true. The people that complain the most forget those who are really serving and they don't see what's going on behind the scenes of the sweat sacrifice. And so when they only make complaints, they're not just not helping, but they're pulling the church backwards because the people driving it forward have to divert their energy to that. This is why when you do baseball or soccer and you have that one parent who's always like trying to take over your coaching job, you're like, oh God, <laughs> why? The complainers. And so instead of encouraging, we pull back and we become what's a toxic organization. So the ridiculousness of Israelites grumbling is not just them. Where do we live? We live in sunny Southern California. Yeehaw! And I'm just going to make a bold, bold statement here. 
I look around and I know there are not wealthy people here. I know we're not like the richest, most comfortable. Life is great. But I do know enough, none of you rode a horse here. None of you hitchhiked here. None of you walked five miles here. We had a young adult girl who woke up five in the morning to take a bus to church for a practice one day. That was astounding. But none of you, you came in the comfort of a combustion engine with air conditioning and heating. Some of you with massage chairs. What am I trying to get at? Man, we have so much. What are we grumbling about? I wish I had more. I wish, but before you grumble, can you just acknowledge what God has already given you? You are here. You're here. You are alive. You have clothes. You are here. Say, I am here. Do you not recognize that God has given you? If you are in La Mirada worshiping at 1040 Sunday morning, you have already been blessed. And before we grumble, when we, before we criticize Israel, we're doing the same thing. They just got delivered. God provided for them. And for us, God's provided for you. Your forgiveness of sins has been made possible. Your life, you got to wake up today. Um, this is a sad news, but our state of clerk is Forrest Clausen. His wife preached here uh, this past summer. Do you remember her? Karen? Forrest just posted two days ago. My brother was vacationing with his family in Kansas. There was an accident. They were walking on frozen pond. His wife, my brother's wife and son, fell through the ice, eight years old. He's physically okay, but they both died. This is our state of clerk, and my heart broke. And we're going to pray for Forrest and his family. And you're going to please keep them in your prayer. So, I went, so he put a link of the family's Facebook. And when you see the family that posted that morning, vacationing, how do you, God, I don't understand this tragedy. Well, I want to bring that to us to say, listen, we have to be grateful for every day we have with our loved ones, with our family. You have to be thankful that what you've already been brought through is more than what we deserved. I don't care what your life circumstance is, but we would never use these three words, it's not fair. Because if life was fair, we would, should have nothing. And what I don't get is they grumbled, and what does God do the next verse for? So he heard their grumbling and provided now, I'm a parent who'd be like, oh, I, I am not going to give in to grumbling of my kids. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> but God is this merciful, compassionate God who takes their grumbling after grumbling, and he still provides what they need. Not what they want, but what they need. And so grumbling is this thing that we need to drive out of us. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 to the church in Philippi, verse 12 through 15, this, to a church that's propensity might be to grumble during hard times. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, continue on because God is still active in your life. He hasn't finished with you yet. Awesome. So therefore, listen to this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. It's for your heart that grumbling needs to be out. Even every complaint, it's got to be weeded out. So what do you fill it with? I'll talk about that and bring that up at the end. So the second thing that we see in this text, Exodus 16, you see, you see God teaching them about grumbling and the effects of it. Later on, by the way, this doesn't, it gets worse. They grumbled on, and so God got so mad, he sent poisonous snakes. That's true. <laughs> and they got bit. And so Moses had to make a staff, and whoever looked at the staff of the snake, iron snake, bronze snake, they would be cured. And that was a foreshadowing that Jesus Christ, despite our sins, when we look to him, will be cured. So grumbling is terrible. So, but second thing we see God doing here is this. He says, verse 4, Exodus 16, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Okay, makes sense. Now listen to this. In this way, I will test them. He will what? God is going to test us. For what? And see whether they will follow my instruction. What does God do? What does God do today? He is testing each of you for obedience. Not performance, but he tests us to check our obedience. Wow, that's a whole different phenomenon. It's not about just going to church or being Christian, but it's do I live in obedience to God and his word and to his desire? Because you could be religious, but be farthest from obedience. We call that the Pharisees. And Jesus had a big problem with that. So God is saying, I want to know your heart. Are you, are you just following me because I give you food, or is there also an obedience? By the way, I hope if you, you're a parent, you taught that to your kids, right? You have to teach your kids obedience. And you've done this when they're three. You know why? You went to the shopping mall, and you see cars in the parking lot. You don't go to your kids, hey, do whatever you want. Run around. It's a free country. No, every parent that I know says this. Stop. There's, you see that car? <laughs> if you run out, squished. You'll be a pancake. And so we yell at them. We're teaching them obedience. Why? It's for their health. It's for their life. And so God is saying, listen, we got a long journey, folks. And here's what I need from you. I need your trust. I need your obedience. Church, I want to ask you, God doesn't need your sacrifices. He wants your, say this word, obedience. Can you, just one more time. He doesn't need your sacrifice. He first wants your And this is why Scripture tells us to obey is better than sacrifice. And so, um, you know that... Uh, yeah, so I'll just keep on going. So God's instructions for them was so specific, like manna. Hey, take one omer per person, and they did. When they listened to God, what happened? Everybody was full and happy. And then some people got greedy. 
These are like the opportunistic people. They think they're the ones that created eBay. Hey, if I sell this, I can make money. So they took three, they took one omer, and then they said, let me take extra just to stock up. And then what happened to that manna? It was rotten, smelly, and full of maggots. Did you ever see food with maggots? Oh, man, it's... And so, verse 20, no one is to keep any of it, and they didn't obey. Again, verse 24, he says, on Sabbath, collect double portion, because on the Sabbath, you're not going to be going out for food. So, this time, they collected two omers by instruction from God. And then what happened on the Sabbath? The next day, did they rot? No, they were preserved. What is God teaching them? What is God teaching us? He's saying, even to the iota, obedience to my instruction, it matters. It's good for you. I know where I'm taking you. It is this heart of obedience. We heard this in Randy Frazee, and there's a common illustration where a four-year-old boy's like, you know, is playing on the high chair. Did you ever see those kids are like, yeah, they're in their diapers, they're kind of playing their high chair. So mom's like, sit down. And he's like, no. And she's like, sit down. So he sits down, and then he sits down, and he says, I'm sitting down, but inside I'm standing up, you know. (laughs) And so this teaching is like, I'm doing it, but is there a heart of obedience? And what God's teaching us is we need to have a heart of obedience. So why does God want us to teach us obedience? I was thinking about this. When you obey, one of the things that dies is immediate gratification, Do you guys know what immediate gratification is? There's a Twinkie in front of me, and I want it, and I want it now, right? Uh, Hey, Jason, we're going to have dinner. After we have the broccoli casserole, you could have your chocolate chip cookie. I want it now. And so you eat the chocolate chip cookie, and do you eat dinner? No, right? And so there is this connection with obedience and immediate gratification. And so obedience and and self-control, this teaches us to resist temptations. It makes us better. So there was a research done by Stanford University called the Marshmallow Test. I showed you a video about three years ago, but those of you that don't know, they took preschoolers into a room, and they put a marshmallow in front of the preschooler, and they said, if you wait 15 minutes, I'm going to come in with two, and you get to have both. But if you eat this one, you don't get a second one. So the person walked out, and for 15 minutes, that camera is on this kid, and the kid's like, <sighs> he's smelling it, he's like licking it, he like bites a little bit off of it, and he's like, <sighs> you know what the statistic was, how many kids waited? Only a third of the kids, one out of three waited and got the two. Two out of the three ended up eating it in 15 minutes. Stanford kept track of these kids, the kids that followed the instructions, the kids that didn't, and this is what they found out. This kind of rocked my world. The kids, the preschoolers when they grew up, by the age 11, the kids who waited and followed instructions and didn't fall into immediate gratification were far less likely to be overweight by age 11. When they became adults, they were far less likely to use drugs as adults. And the kids that waited were able to obtain significantly higher SAT scores than the kids that could not wait and follow instruction. That's Stanford University. 
What is God teaching us? Obedience and waiting and not self-gratification. So when Israel is going, I'm hungry and I'm hungry now, God is trying to not only discipline them, he's trying to drain into us waiting, even suffering for a greater result at the end. Some of us, all of us, would do well to learn what it looks like to wait and have self-control. So incredible how God wired us this way, and God is directing us to this. He's directing us to this. So I want to end with this. Our prayer for 2017 for every single one of us, including me, it has to be, Lord, teach me patience and trust. Further, Lord, teach me obedience. See, I'm not going to say go to church more. You all know the answer for that. You all know worshiping together, community, connectedness is good. But what I want to go is further than that. Say, God, teach me to have obedience and patience and desire to follow you. There's a song we're going to sing in a moment, uh, O Master, Let Me Walk With Thee, and this is one of the lines. It says, verse 3, Teach me thy patience still with thee in closer, dearer company, in work, with, in work that keeps faith sweet and strong, in trust that triumphs over wrong. O Master, let me walk with thee. Teach me thy patience. 2017, would you cling and trust God has led you this far? And would you trust that God, if he led us this far, he's going to continue to lead us? And in that, instead of grumbling, would we learn obedience and wait? And so, I want to wrap it up with the title of this sermon being Obedience as Love and Worship. And where do I get that from? The guy who I trust the most in this whole world said something like this, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Jesus Christ says the greatest way you and I show love to God is not singing a song. It's not being in choir. It's not being in the praise team. It's not being an elder or deacon. The greatest way you and I show love to God is what? Having his commands and obeying them is the greatest way we show love. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. John 14, 21. I pray that Jesus' words to us is this word for 2017. Don't just be religious. Be obedient. Don't just be kind. Be patient in your grumbling tendency. And I would say further, let's be honest. How many of you grumbled in 2017 already? Come on, let's be, we're in church. God already knows. And I would say, God, take this grumbling as an offering to you, let my heart be cleansed because your trust is good enough. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness. We're thankful that it's incredible that in this chapter, even in the midst of a grumbling, you provided and you showed them your mercy and generosity. You surprised them by giving them what's called manna, what literally means what is it. And God, sometimes even in our unfaithfulness, you're still generous and kind, and that's amazing.
but we pray, God, that you would make our spiritual depth deeper, that we would be people who, are, who have a tendency to give thanks, to trust you, and to wait rather than to grumble, that we see your word, the whole scriptures, as not a story but as your heart for us and how to live. And so may 2017 be that challenge to obey you in our lives for your glory. These things we pray and we say in the prayer that you taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.